The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So with that, let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. We're going to tell one of the most famous, uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible about Jesus going to the disciples in the middle of a storm, uh, and then he, st- he comes to them in the storm walking on water. What in the world is that all about? And then one of the disciples actually gets out of the boat and he walks on water. How amazing. So let's bow and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray and ask that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. Lord, you know, again, I, I am impressed throughout history, literally going back to when the world was hanging by a thread and, and the faith of one man and your word and your promise uh, and a family of Noah uh, to our own country's founding with a lot of var- you know, variations, varieties, flavors, denominations, uh, but with a, a, a broad understanding of wanting to honor you and, and follow you to the best of our ability. So we continue to pray for our nation. Lord, we are in great turmoil. Uh, we have much going on. And we need wisdom, and we pray for divine mercy, for a great favor, uh, for supernatural uh, outpouring of your Spirit. And Lord, that you would somehow come through all of this and be honored and glorified and lifted up that all men might be drawn to you. And I pray for this message today, very specific and very uh, relevant to our lives, because there are many of us who feel like we're on a a sea that is unstable and surrounded by contrary winds and battling through storms, and we frankly could use a divine visitation. So may we hear what the Spirit would say to us corporately, as a church, but also privately and individually, a word from our Father to our heart as your son or daughter. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name, and everyone said, amen. Okay, so I've got about four or five different little life lessons we're going to pull out of the story here. So the first one is the rally cry is pray first. So Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent, note, the multitudes away. So there's a multitude that are following him. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. So we note that Jesus made his disciples get into a boat so he could go pray alone with his father, up on a mountain. Now, it's been, I've been gone a couple of weeks, so you, you may not remember where were we, or maybe you're the first time here, whatever. What's the story right before this story? And that is the miracle, what's, the previous verses are about the miracle of Jesus multiplying supernaturally fish and bread to feed, it says 5,000 men, but they didn't count the women and children, so you add all that up, and they say a minimum of 20. 
Somewhere between 20, 25,000 people. And Jesus does a miracle. All four Gospels talk about it. It's that important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all include that one. Because it, what happened, in fact, in the Gospel of John, his version, chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, when the people saw Jesus miraculously feed the multitudes like that, it, they created a messianic uproar. They said, he's got to be the Messiah. No prophet has ever done anything quite like that. There was a rush of messianic expectation. And John tells us that after that miracle, they wanted to go and force Jesus to be king right now. That's how powerful it was. So what is ironic is you would think, wow, this is why Jesus came. I'm the Messiah. I'm the guy. You've all been waiting for and praying for and hoping for for generations and centuries. Now he's got them all coming from this one fantastic miracle. They're ready to force him to be king. And what does Jesus do? He goes, we got to get out of here. You guys get into a boat, go to the other side. So they're isolated. Nobody can follow them. And he goes up alone on a mountain. He goes, I need to go pray. And so why? What's going on? Well, a couple of things. Number one, um, this was not the time for his messianic claim. In fact, this was not, he didn't want to be made king because he could feed people bread. He did not want to be merely a, you know, political leader, uh, you know, a bringer of food and provision uh, to serve the people in that way. His ultimate goal, he came from heaven, and his real goal was to get them to believe in him even when he was rejected, betrayed, and crucified, though he was sinless. He, would, he predicted, it was prophesied, he would be crucified, and then on the third day, he would rise from the dead. That's why he came from heaven. Because on the cross, he was going to break the devil's jaw. He was going to crush his head. He was going to take and break the back of death and pain and suffering on the third day when he resurrected. That is where he wanted everyone to be following him as the Messiah. But we know how that turned out and happened, and even his disciples running and fleeing. So this was not the time, it was not the place, it was not the miracle to make that show. But what's interesting is Jesus says, I need to pray. And we need, you know, there's a lesson in here that I really feel, um, you know, there's a lot going on right now in our in our world, in our, in our country, um, and you can feel the, the tension. Uh, you can see the tension. You can hear the tension. You can only begin to imagine what's going on on the other side of the veil in the spiritual realm, the battle that is taking place. What are we to do? What is, what is, so the believers in the midst of all this, we're God's seeds and representing the kingdom of heaven. What does he want us to do? We need to pray. We need to pray more. Would you, would you agree with that? And in fact, what I want to suggest to you this morning is a new rally cry for us, and I think this not only for Maranatha, but for the church, for this hour, for this moment in time, the Lord is saying, instead of trying to figure everything out and give an answer to everything or whatever, just pray and pray first. Would you say out loud with me, pray first, pray first. Turn to your neighbor and say, pray first. Remember to pray first. I want to ask you the question, what would it look like if you and I and the church determined that no matter come what may, whatever a day may bring, we will pray first? 
and make it our rally cry. What I'm saying is, and by the way, this church was birthed in a culture of prayer, and I want to remind us of that. Uh, all that you are, you know, you come here, maybe even your first time, well, wow, you got this big building, and the building's over there, and down the road two miles, we got a school and 18 acres, and a thousand kids from preschool up through high school. Wow, this is all, this is awesome. Where did it come from? And it didn't come from managing and being good at this or that. It really was birthed in prayer. Many times, many seasons of prayer, calling on the name of the Lord and praying and fasting a lot. We've had times of pr- where we need to get serious with God and praying and fasting. And then we, we also have times of praying and feasting. We like to do that too. We like to eat. So we've had a lot of feasts, but all of it has been bathed in prayer. And I believe that we need a new rally that we should pray first. That doesn't mean you have to spend hours. There are some people that are called to prayer, intercessory prayer. We want to start some new prayer groups. But I want to say for everybody that's a believer that that you would begin the moment that you wake up, the first thing that you would do, I'm encouraging you, pray first. Wake up and go, good morning, Lord. I just want you to know this is your day. Let your will be done. Help me, watch me, protect me, and bless me. Amen. And then begin your day. Can I hear an amen on that? Um, I think that before you, before we eat, we, it's a simple thing, but if you bow your head before everybody dives in, give me that in and out burger, I'm hungry, and they're eating or whatever, take a moment, say, wait a second, stop. Okay, hold, hold, hold on. Um, Lord, we just want to say thank you for this food. We, we honor you. We bless you. We, we don't want to take it for granted. Everything we have, every bite that we eat has come from you. We want to just let you know. And not only should it be done and modeled in the home by mom and dad, but it should also be modeled out when you're public, you know, and somewhere, and you don't have to have a big sign, John 3.16, I'm a Christian, so should you. Uh, just take a moment to, hey, everybody, let's just bow our head. Lord, we just want to acknowledge you. Thank you for this food. Bless it. We're so glad we can be together here. Thank you. Amen. And people look over, they see it, and they notice it. Um, before you take that appointment, I know our lives are so scheduled and so busy, and we got, you know, ding, ding, and we got little phones that go ding, ding, ding. They'll constantly, you got another appointment. Here they come. You're like, oh, man. Then maybe the next time that they go, hey, your next appointment is here. Shall I bring them in? You go, no, 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 no. Hold on. Just wait a second. Just wait once, one second, just I'll, I'll, in a minute. Okay, oh, Lord, uh, you know, so-and-so is coming in. It's a big meeting. It's important. I just need your wisdom. I need your favor and your blessing. Oh, God, I'd, I'd like to really make a whole lot of money. I'll bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> okay, bring them on in. How even that, acknowledging first the Lord. Jesus at the most critical masses, following him, demanding, you got to do this. And he's like, uh-uh. I need to pray. I need to talk to my father. I need to talk to my dad. You know, when you're sending your kids to school, I know that routine and that, you know, where you go and you're, you know, you're flinging them out with their little lunches or whatever. But to take a second and say, whoa, 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 before you throw the door open, wait real quick. Dear Lord, watch over them, keep them, bless them, help them to be leaders, not followers. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, go guys, you know, pray first. I want to share this scripture with you. It's very simple. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's a very familiar one, but let's read it out loud. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, 1 Thessalonians, uh, the verse 17 is actually two words, pray continually. 
It's easy. You just memorize the verse. Pray continually. Um, what does that mean? It doesn't mean you have to do it for hours or be up in a monastery somewhere, but just little seeds, little prayers. It's better to have seven little prayers through a day as you work your way through that day. And at the end, you just feel the relief and the freedom, and, and you're inviting the Holy Spirit to be involved in your daily life. That's what it means, I think, to pray continually. Now, Jesus is with us in the storms of life. Um, look at verse 24. It says, but the boat, so he gets him in the boat, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. So Jesus tells them, get in a boat, go to the other side. They get in the boat in obedience. They get halfway there, and a storm rises. So I want to make this obvious kind of a note. The storm came because they were in the will of God. Jesus told them to go into this storm. He wanted them to be there. It was his will. They, you know, it was not because they were out of the will of God. The story of Jonah, who was out of the will of God in a boat going the opposite direction, God let a storm come uh, to change his mind. But this time they're in the storm by the will of God. So I want to encourage you that, you know, you may, uh, you may be in a storm from actually doing the right thing. Did Jesus know the storm was coming? Yes. Did he deliberately direct them into the storm? Yes. He had a purpose, a deeper purpose. And so sometimes that's what God has for us. I want to show you a picture of this boat. A few of you know this if you've been with us to Israel. Um, and we're going to Israel again next year in May. We'd love to have you come with us or whenever you can sometime. We go every other year. But uh, something interesting happened. This is actually a real ancient boat uh, that is in a little museum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee today in modern Israel because in the year 1986, there were two Jewish brothers uh, who one's name was Moshe, the other's name was Yuval. By trade, they were fishermen. Do you know there's still modern fishermen in the Sea of Galilee that get the Peter's fish or whatever and feed the tourists or whatever? But there had been a drought for several years. So you know, like uh, our own uh, lake here, when there's a drought and it recedes, the, the water goes down. So you've got this big, wide, muddy bank that for years nobody's been able to see. So these two brothers are walking along the muddy bank, and one of them, his foot trips on something, and he looks at it, and it's wood. Well, man, in Israel, you, you look at something, and it could be really, really old. So they dig a little bit, and they go, wow, looks like something wood. And they go a little deeper, and they go, this is a boat. Whoa, this is an ancient boat. So they let the authorities know, and the authorities said, stop and do not touch anything anymore. And they brought the professional archaeologists. They dug deeper. This entire boat, um, they, they uh, dated it, and they, they dated it back to approximately 40 B.C. And they said this was a classic and typical fishing boat that therefore probably was on the waters used by fishermen when Jesus, the Son of God, walked on the earth. It's about, so this is what it looked like, 20, about 27 feet long. It's hard to tell the depth in the picture, but the width 
is a little bit shy of eight feet. That's how small they were. You remember the, so this puts a whole new spin on the story. Remember when Jesus, they were fishing all night and they did it with nets. So they weren't sport fishing. They were for their living. So they got a big net. They're going to catch what they can. And they're there at their favorite secret spot all night long. And in the morning, this voice from the shore calls, hey, hey boys, have you caught anything? And the last thing you want to be asked as a fisherman, when you've been fishing all night long and you haven't caught anything is, oh, we haven't caught nothing. And then the voice from the shore says, oh, really? Well, now usually you'll say, if you go over here where there's some brush and and some algae and different stuff, that's a great fishing. But no, this guy says, hey, pick up your nets and cast them on the other side. Do you see how that's like they've been all night here and like seven and a half feet, they're all over here. So they're like, they're laughing. They go, what difference is seven and a half feet going to make? Just do it. So they do it. They put the nets over here. And then the net fills up with fish so that the net sinks the boat and it starts to break. That's the Lord. That's what Jesus did. So that's what that boat was. Now, the truth is that the disciples were in the storm by the will of God. And the truth is also that they were safer in the storm with Jesus than on the land with the crowds out of the will of God. Can I hear an amen on that? There are storms of correction like Jonah, but then there are storms of perfection where God is teaching us something. He's causing us to learn something. And many Christians mistakenly think that uh, God, you know, once you decide, I'm going to just be as obedient as I possibly can, then God is obligated to give me smooth sailing the rest of my life. But the Bible doesn't say that. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have storms. No matter if you go full on, I'm going to follow the Lord, or if you go full on rebellion, either way, pick your path, storm's coming. Here's the difference. These storms will bring something healthy, positive, and be for your benefit, and God will force them to make it good for you, no matter what. These, you just end up in wreck, ruin, and you lose everything. So you choose your path. Now, uh, I believe that we, this is a great picture of us. God's people are on the sea in the midst of a great storm. And yet, what was Jesus doing for them up on the mountain? He's praying for them, making intercession for them, and that at the test of their faith, their faith will not fail. So now let's look at the next life lesson, verses 24 through 27. We read beginning in verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, which is basically between three or four in the morning, Jesus went to them. So there's our life lesson. Jesus always is approaching us or coming to us in the storms of life. And by the way, it was three or four o'clock in the morning. How many times does the Lord want to speak to you, visit you, or wake you up in the middle of the night? Somewhere around three or four o'clock in the morning, he comes many times. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. I love that. We often feel abandoned or as if the Lord has left us alone in the midst of the storm. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever felt like, I'm doing the best I can, I'm trying to do what is right, 
And the moment I buckled in and said, I'm, I'm heading in the right way, everything blew up and the storm is coming. And now I feel like I've been abandoned by God. I feel like I've wasted, you know, my time and everything else. And I just feel alone and it's right. Anybody ever felt there? You feel like that? I have felt like that. Now, here's the, here's the deal. Those, the, the emphasis I want to put on what we just described that all of us have gone through is the word feel. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I feel like I made the right choice and it went all wrong after that. I feel, I feel, I feel. Now, let's go from feelings to the truth. The truth is, not only was Jesus watching over them, he had been praying for them, and now he's actually walking toward them so that in the middle of the storm, they get to see him. And by the way, once Jesus shows up, the storm is going to go away. That was the truth. And Jesus says to them, stop being what? Afraid. Now, there's a lot of fear going on right now in our nation and in our world. There's, you know, and look, I feel for you guys. I feel for me. I, I didn't pick the generation I got to be born in. You didn't get to pick it. We just, we got, well, here we all are. We got to live now. That's when we live. There's never been a generation that has had to deal with the pressures that you and I are dealing with. Let me take just a little sip of water. A hundred years ago, you would be in a little community or whatever, and you heard the bad things going on in your neighborhood. (laughs) Um, But you, you would not hear so much what's going on elsewhere. Now we live in a generation where you pull out your cell phone, and whether it's a hurricane, a flood, an earthquake, an accident, or whatever, somebody just goes, bink, and they push a button, and they're filming it live, and it goes online, and then it can go viral, and now millions of people can see whatever is happening anywhere in the world, right? And what are, you know, nine out of ten times when they go, bink, it's bad news, right? So we're getting bombarded with all of this bad news, which what do you, when you see tragedy and heartache and heartbreak and, you know, things going wild and crazy and people being, you know, angry and everything else, do you know what that does to our brain? We were not made to sustain that kind of emotional trauma. There, we have never, human beings have never been so, we're like pegged in the red all the time, like, ah! It's like, wow, there's a lot of bad news in the world, and it all from the whole world comes flooding in on you. And what can happen, even to believers, is that we start living out of our soul rather than our spirit. Listen carefully to what I want to share with you. The Bible, in encouraging us to grow into spiritual maturity, uh, into the image of Christ, is constantly exhorting you, do not live from your soul where your emotions are, but live from your spirit. Because it's in our emotions that we can get overwhelmed and we can get afraid and we get anxious and man, we're taking all kinds of stuff to try to help calm it down. But you were never meant to live from fear to fear, from episode to episode, from tragedy to tragedy. 
Um, it, it's not normal. It is not healthy. And you were certainly, as God's child, never meant to live out of your soul. God is asking us to live out of the Spirit. Let me tell you about your spirit. Your spirit and the Holy Spirit have now been made one. And I want to tell you something that you maybe will see in a different light, but your spirit is not afraid because your spirit is one with the spirit of the living God. And I can show you right from the Word, for God has not given us a spirit of fear because our spirit is linked to the Holy Spirit. Did you know that your spirit and in your spirit, and when you're living out of your spirit, you're living in the, the, the realm of the child, being a child of God. The kingdom of heaven is yours. There's no fear in heaven. There's no fear that can affect your spirit. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Every day we have a choice, and too often we are prone to start living out of our emotions and out of our fears and out of our anxieties. And if you're like that, man, you're going like this and then over here and back over here, and you're trying to hold it all together with a little bit of church and discipleship or whatever, but man, you're just getting flung around. The Lord says there's another way to live, and that is to live out of your spirit because you've not been given, your spirit's not afraid. When you're in the Spirit, when your eyes are upon Jesus, uh, then everything changes. So I want to go to the next life lesson, to experience the miracle. You say, well, how do I get out of living in my soul to really living from my Spirit? Uh, You're going to have to get out of the boat is one way of looking at it. Beginning in verse 28, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, so once they see Jesus, Lord, if that's really you, I added the word really, Command me to come to you on the water. I think Peter is looking at Jesus. You know, it's a storm. So he probably is kind of misty, hazy. You see the guy and there's a storm and he's like walking with footsteps on the water. And then it's kind of like, man, that's really cool. Is that really real? If that's really you, I want to do that. I want to walk on the water. Lord, if it's really you, command me to come to you. And I love what Jesus says immediately. He goes, okay, come. How cool is that? And when Peter had come down out of the boat, now think about this, you're in a storm, it's kind of rocking and he's climbing over the edge and then he puts his foot in the water and it kind of, he feels like something solid there. He takes another step. Before you know it, he's walking on the water. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I love this. Peter came up with an amazing sign to confirm if it was really Jesus. If this hazy figure really is Jesus, Peter says, Then I want to see a miracle. Did you know it's okay to ask God for a miracle? We serve a miracle-working God. He loves to do the miraculous. And as the other disciples watch in awe, Peter indeed gets out of the boat and literally begins defying physics. Now, here's the deal. Here's where when you choose to walk in the Spirit, not out of your soul, and you begin to follow the Lord, there are, there are two worlds that are constantly around us right now. 
There's our physical, natural world. Everything that you see here is, you know, here physical and bodies and pews and buildings and whatever. But also right here is another world and another realm invisible to your natural eye, but it's as real as you sitting here right now. Here's on the authority of God's Word, one thing we know. Jesus said, wherever two or three gather together in my name, there am I in the midst. Now, you're an individual believer. You've got the Spirit in you. The Lord's with you wherever you go. But he said, but if two or three of you come together in agreement, that's like kingdom, man. I'm personally there. I don't know if you've looked around, but there's more than two or three. So guess who is here? The guy we're talking about. I am telling you, Jesus of Nazareth is right here, and he is real. And that spiritual realm, not only that, but there's angels. Um, and I believe biblically that I can show and confirm every human being has been given and, uh, and appointed and assigned at least one guardian angel. Some of you have quite a few more. You need a little extra help, but that's okay. <laughs> so take all the people you see in here, multiply that by more than two, and that's right here right now. Now, some of you are way up here in your knowledge of science. You know, I like the Bible. I know the Bible, but then others of you in science, there's this whole other realm that we're just beginning to dabble into that is mind-boggling. I find fascinating, love learning about it, called the quantum world. And the reality is everything you can physically see that's real, like me, the pulpit, the pew, your own body, everything you can see is made out of things you cannot see because they're so small. But even because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there or they're not real. In fact, you put them all together and it comes here. So we have these two worlds and there are a miracle is literally where the two worlds, where one, you go through the curtain into the other. It's not a creation of a new world. It already exists, but there's a veil between them. And what Peter discovered is there's a way for God's children to not only not live out of their soul, fear, anxiety, and all of that, you know, up and down stuff. We can live out of our spirit we don't have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And we can literally step through the veil into the supernatural where we are defying the laws of this world's physics, but are not defying the laws in the kingdom of heaven. Because in the kingdom of heaven, a storm cannot affect a child of God who's got their eyes on Jesus Christ. When he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? Because he's walking, I, I can imagine for a few steps, I'm walking on water, this is wild. And there's Jesus and his eyes, as he is filled with Jesus, he's filled with faith. He's living out of his spirit. But then he hears, what am I doing? This is, a, you know, there's a storm, there's wind, a howling gust goes by, a wave comes up, it splashes him. He turns his eyes off Jesus and what happens? Boop, 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 he starts going down. But before he went completely under, Jesus is right there, grabs him by the hand. He says, save me, Lord. And I love Jesus' compassion. He's right there. Come on, Peter. And he picks him back up. And there's Peter standing, dripping, but standing with Jesus. <laughs> and then I love what Matthew says. Then they walked to the boat. And then as Peter and Jesus got into the boat, and Matthew was an eyewitness. He's not a guy telling you. I heard a guy that told me a story. Matthew is one of the guys that was in the boat. And he says, when Jesus and Peter got into the boat, the storm ceased immediately. 
What that showed is, what the Lord was saying is, I can take the realm of heaven where there's no fear. Where there, the, you want to know what is in the spirit realm and your spirit? Love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and forbearance and all the fruit of the spirit are available to us. Not a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. We can learn to live out of our spirit. And when we do that, we go through the veil and we begin to supersede. And God works, even forces nature to come into obeyance of what he wants. Amen? It's a wonderful, marvelous, powerful, beautiful experience. So let's go to the last one. I've got one last one. Coming under the covering of Jesus as healer and savior. This is in the final little verses. Once they get to the other side, what happens? Well, something very unique. In verse 34, it says, and when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. That is the northwestern shores of ancient Galilee, which is where Jesus' headquarters were in Capernaum, where the vast majority of miracles happen. So that's where the boat lands. And when the men of that place recognize him, there he is again, Jesus. They sent out to all that surrounding region and brought to him all who were sick and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And I want you to look at this lessons. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Now, this is very interesting. Why were people healed from touching Jesus' clothes? It doesn't even say they touched him. They touched the tassels of his robe. They touched his clothing, and they were healed. Well, I put the verses there. We're not going to go to them, but you can read it later. The book of Numbers, chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. In the Mosaic Law, God instructed his people regarding they were to wear this simple uh, garment, and they were to have four corners, two in the front, two in the back. They were long tassels tied with little knots to remind them that they were set apart by God. Uh, you know, th- in the four directions of their life, no matter which way they went, forward, backward, right or left, north, south, east, or west, uh, they were God's special people. And that's what they… The, so apparently Jesus wore garments like that, and people would touch his tassels, which represented a man's identity. You're a man of God. You're a follower of God. You're of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're of Israel. You're of the tribe, whatever. But wow, that repre- you represent God on earth. But now it's not just a man or a tribe, but it is the Messiah. And by touching that, they were identifying you are a man who follows the Word of God. There's no man who has ever completely followed the will of God and the commands of God and the Word of God like the Messiah Jesus. So his character was literally radiating, and these people knew to identify with him, all I got to do is touch that tassel, all his purity, all his holiness, all his righteousness, all of his prayers, all of his spirituality, I can, if I can just touch the corner of his garment. It's interesting that in the book of Ruth, uh, it talks about, remember when Ruth was seeking marriage to Boaz, and she said, I want you to put your, the corners of your garment over me. She's talking about those four tassels. It was a request for him, Boaz, to identify with her. So what these people did by touching Jesus' tassels, they were saying, we identify with you. 
And so when God spoke of making a covenant with Israel, he pictured himself spreading the corner of his garment over her, a symbol of identifying with her as his bride. And there was another expression, because this Hebrew word can be translated the corners of the garment, or the same Hebrew word can also secondly mean, or the wings of the garment. And with that understanding, I want you to read with me this prophecy at the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. Let's read it out loud. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. That, that word wings in Hebrew can be translated the corners of the garment. The last prophecy given about the coming Messiah is there will be healing in the corners of his garment. That'll be like when you touch those tassels, you have just caught the wings of the cherubim into the throne room of God, and healing will come upon you. And that's why they said, wow, we want to identify with this guy, Jesus. That's what life is all about. You make sure from now until the last breath you take, and once you stand before God, you go, I'm identifying with that guy, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And eternal life is yours forevermore. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.